If your life right now were to be put into a song, what would that song be like? What would be the lyrics, the words? Would it be dread? Would it be the same old thing? Or would it be a sense of expectation? And how about the melody? Would it be upbeat, no beat, or deadbeat? What would the song of your life right now be? God wants to give us a song. He wants to give us a song of His grace, of His work in our lives. He wants to write the words. He wants to give us the melody. He wants to be our strength and our song. And Israel discovered this in the time when they were going through a lot of difficulty, facing some major opposition as a nation, that in the midst of facing an overwhelming hostile power and a difficult time in their history, God said, I want to give you a song. I want to give you a song of my power and a song of my strength, a song of my grace. If you're turning your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 12, Isaiah chapter 12, my sermon outline is contained in your bulletin as an insert and alongside of it, we've got a few places in there where you can fill in the blanks as we move through this. Isaiah chapter 12, and as you turn there, allow me to give you the background to this passage of Scripture. The message of the book of Isaiah is simply this, God or Yahweh personal name of God, the covenant name of God is our salvation. God is our salvation. Now, at the time that Isaiah writes, the southern kingdom of Israel, Judah, had turned away from the Lord. And God had used other nations to judge the nation of Israel and to judge Judah to bring them back to Him. God purifies His people through judgment. God is acting here to fulfill His promises to the nation of Israel in the midst of them having turned their backs on Him. Now, the history of the ancient world is the history of one empire after another coming on the scene, dominating the scene for a period of time, and dominating the world scene. And at this particular time when Isaiah writes, Assyria is the ascendant power on the world scene. And so Israel or Judah is looking north towards Assyria. They see this ominous power coming on the scene. They recognize that the power of Assyria is becoming so great that they will be able to sweep down and conquer Israel if that's what they so desire. And so one of the temptations that Israel constantly faces in its, faces in its history, particularly when it faces one of these powers, is do we form alliances with other nations? And every time Israel formed an alliance with another nation, they compromised their walk with God, got themselves in all kinds of trouble, and the alliance never worked out to their benefit anyway. But that's one of the temptations that they are facing. In chapters 7 through 12, the emphasis and the teaching is on the birth and ministry of the Messiah. Isaiah is looking way forward in history, and he's saying God is going to send a Messiah our way. In the verses that we're going to zero in on today, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, 
the nation of Israel is offering praise to God, really exploding in praise to God in the perspective of the future. In other words, when they look into their future, they don't see Assyria taking them over. What they see is God fulfilling His promise to send a Messiah in their direction. And so they begin to give praise. And this praise is like it starts with one person, and it's contagious, and it just begins to spread to everybody else. And so the whole nation begins to erupt in praise to God. In fact, the second half of verse 2 is a direct quote from Exodus chapter 15 in verse 2, and where God's victory over Pharaoh at the Red Sea is now, those words are repeated as Israel praises the Lord. In other words, God delivered His people over in Exodus from Egyptian bondage. Now He is going in the future to act to deliver them again. And so they sort of pick up the words from their praises from their ancestors, Pick those words of praise up and begin to praise the Lord for what God is going to do in the future. Isaiah chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. Now in verse 1, as they begin to praise the Lord, they say God has turned away His anger from us. They had turned their backs on the Lord. They'd gone their own way, doing their, done their own thing. God had poured His anger out on His people. And when God pours His anger out on His people, it is for a reason. We tend to think of anger as something, you know, somebody lost it and they lost control, blew somebody away and had a tantrum tantrum or whatever. That is not the idea of the anger of God. The anger of God is always for a purpose. First of all, it is His reaction to sin. God is compelled by His very nature to react to our sin and His anger, His wrath is that reaction. But it is for the purpose of turning us back to Him. His anger is not just thrown out there. It is for the purpose of turning us back to Him. And He is also angry because He sees the destructive nature of our sin. He sees what sin is doing to us. And He gets angry at seeing the destruction that's being reaped on us by our sin. Now, the people begin to respond to God because He says He's turned His anger away from them. It's accomplished His purpose. And now, they begin to respond to God in praise for what He's done. This is the song that He is writing. This is the song that He can write in our lives. Notice verse 2. He begins by saying, the song begins by saying, Behold. The word behold there means surprise and attention. I'm surprised at what God has done and what God is doing. The nation of Israel is basically saying, you know, after we turned our face, our backs on God and we went and did our own thing in our own way, we're seeing what God's going to do and how much He loves us, how involved He wants to be in our lives, what He wants to accomplish in our lives. And that is a surprise to us. Surprised by the love of God. Surprised by the intervention of God. So he's surprised, but it's also that sense of attention. In other words, pay attention to what God is going to do. Behold, God is my salvation. The Hebrew name for God there is Elohim. It is the idea of the powerful one. 
Behold, the powerful one, the majestic one, is my salvation. Now, what does it mean for God to be our salvation? Allow me to give, let's look at some ideas there. It means that someone is saved, they are delivered to victory and freedom. In other words, they're saying, God is my salvation. God has reached down and He's saved me and I couldn't save myself. He has delivered me and I couldn't deliver myself. He has moved me from a place of intimidation and defeat to a place of victory. Thus, He has become my salvation. Now, if I'm going to be saved, i got to be saved from something. If I'm going to be delivered, i got to be delivered from something. They saw where God had stepped in and delivered them, where He had stepped in and saved them. In our culture today, we don't think we need any salvation because we don't think we got anything to be saved from. We don't need to be delivered because there's nothing to be delivered from. You see, when we take sin out of the picture, there's nothing to be saved from. There's nothing to be delivered from. The fact that I've got sin in my life, the fact that I've walked away from the Lord, the fact that I stand before the Lord guilty before Him means that I do need to be saved. I do need to be delivered. And God's deliverance is always a deliverance from the sin and the shame delivered to Him. And in Him is where the freedom is. And in Jesus is where the victory is. Salvation. God is my salvation. It is ongoing. He is my salvation, not just in the past. He is my salvation in the present. God's salvation in our lives is an ongoing salvation. It is the idea that His salvation is a refuge for us. It is a safe harbor. He hides us so that He can protect us. So when they say God is our salvation, is the idea that He is protecting us. He is a refuge for us. A number of years ago, I was uh, up in the mountains of southwest Virginia doing some hiking with a friend of mine, and a storm came up that we had not anticipated. Sometimes, you know, when you're in the mountains, you don't see what's on one side of the mountain until it's on the other side of the mountain and on top of you. And this storm came up we hadn't anticipated, and we really didn't know what to do, and we saw this mountain is rock formation so we went underneath the rock formation and back in almost a cave and we just sort of hung out in there till the storm passed by I will confess once we got back up in there I was looking to make sure we weren't disturbing any snakes who were deciding to make that their home I didn't particularly I thought I'd rather stand out in the storm and deal with a snake but uh, we got up in there and we just stayed back up in that cave like area until the storm passed by and that's the idea of this idea of the salvation of God here he's saying you retreat into me you go into me and you stay in me that's what the Bible means by being in Christ and I will be a refuge for you when you do that Psalm 18 and verse 35, he is a shield of salvation. Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 17, he is referred to as the helmet of our salvation. Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 10, he is the garment wrapped around us of salvation. Now salvation is God's love in action. His love is active, it is powerful, it is aggressive, it's dynamic, and it is working to accomplish his purpose. The life of Jesus, the cross, and the resurrection was God's way of saying to us that His salvation is active, it is powerful, it is dynamic, and it is aggressively moving in our lives and through our lives. Now, His salvation, as I mentioned a moment ago, is ongoing. 
What God is doing in our salvation, He saves us when we trust Jesus as our Savior, but He is saving us every day. And part of His salvation work in our lives is to prepare us when He presents us to Himself. The Bible says we are the bride of Christ and we are being prepared to be presented to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our ultimate salvation is that day when we will be presented to Him. But every day, He is working in our lives. His purpose at work in our lives is to prepare us to get us ready to be presented to Him. Now, about 30 years ago, my wife and I got engaged and I had heard through the rumor mill that the most difficult time leading up to marriage is the engagement period. Now, when you're dating, everything is wonderful. But when you get engaged, you got that period of X number of months that you're waiting to get married. And that is the most difficult part. And that's certainly what we learn. I had been used to not having to share my wife with we- uh, wife to be with wedding plans and all this kind of stuff. And at the time, Helen was living in a Beaver Dam, Virginia, near Fredericksburg. And I was living in Manassas. And I remember we would get together on the weekends. We usually meet in Fredericksburg. That's where we did most of our dating. And I called her up uh, like on Tuesday or Wednesday that week. And I said, I guess we'll be getting together on Friday or Saturday. And she said, no, I'm not going to be able to get with you this week. And uh, I said, why is that? And she says, well, I've got to meet uh, with the seamstress. And we've got to pick out the colors for the uh, dresses for the ladies that are going to be my bridesmaids. And... uh, I just didn't say anything, and she said, what's the problem? And I said, well, you mean we're not going to be able to get together because you got to pick out a bunch of colors for bridesmaid dresses? And she said, yes. She says, do you have a problem with that? And being the warm, compassionate, loving person I am, I told her that she could stay in Beaver Dam, and, and this is literally a quote, clutch her cold fabric as far as I was concerned. And that just didn't set well with me at all. I could have cared less about the bridesmaid dresses and what they were going to look like, etc. And so we, that was sort of a rough time for us, but she was getting us ready for the wedding. Folks, everything that God does in our lives after we come to know Jesus is getting us ready for wedding day in the presence of Jesus when he marries us off into the Father God. And you see, every difficult situation we go through life, every difficult thing he takes us through, and we're sort of screaming out to God sometimes, Lord, why this, why this, why this? He is saying, I'm taking you through a tough time because I'm purifying you. And the reason I'm purifying you is because I'm getting you ready for wedding day. And remember that, that the purpose is never pain for the sake of pain. It's never discipline for the sake of discipline. It is never hardship for the sake of hardship. It is all of that for the purpose of getting us ready to present us to the Father someday. And so the more difficult it is, the more He is getting us ready to present us. And that difficulty is testimony to the fact that there is a wedding that is coming. Now, salvation demands two things. Number one... It demands repentance. I've got to turn from sin. I've got to turn from wherever I'm going away from God. And it demands humbleness. I turn to the Lord and I turn to the Lord in humbleness before Him. God can always work in our lives as long as there's humbleness there. Now notice, God is my song of trust. Verse 2, He says, I will trust and not be afraid. The word trust there means to have a firm expectation that God is at work. I'm confident 
and I am bold that God is at work. I am freed up from anxiety. Notice he says, I will trust. The literal idea of the verb that's used there means I'm going to start trusting in Him and I'm going to continue to trust in Him. In other words, from the place and point in my life where I start trusting in Him, where I have a confident, bold expectation that God is at work, from that point on, everything changes. Faith changes everything. It frees us from anxiety. Notice where the trust is. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song. My ability to faith, to have faith, to express faith, and to live faith is not in me and my ability to believe God. It is rather in God. God is the one who develops my faith and makes my faith And we'll see here in just a moment, the more I focus on Him and who He is and how great He is, the stronger my faith will be. It is not about how well can I believe in God. It is rather God can, God will, God is at work, and I'm placing my faith there. My trust is in Him. I will trust, and I will not be afraid. The word there, afraid, means to be startled by something suddenly. To be startled by something suddenly. When we were living in Powhatan, uh, Virginia, outside of Richmond, we lived back in a subdivision. And usually in May, when we got the first hot spell, until about the 4th of July, is when the snakes came out. I don't know why after the 4th of July they disappeared. I don't know if they had their party and shot their fireworks off and went back into the holes. But they were, man, they were all over the place from about mid-May to the 4th of July. And we lived back off the road. And when I would go for walks, man, I had to keep my eyes open. Because not only, the black snakes weren't what bothered me, it was the copperheads. And they would even get out on the street in the subdivision where we were in. And have you ever walked up on a snake? What happens to your blood pressure? Goes through the roof, doesn't it? Well, the idea of where he says here, I will not be afraid, is I'm not going to be startled. It's not like I'm going to walk up on stuff in life and it's just going to grab me with fear. And the reason for that is I'm trusting in the Lord. He's got me. He's got my life. I've got a bold expectation and confidence that God is there, God's going to show up, and God's going to be at work. Now, I want you to imagine your life and the various aspects of your life like a carton of a dozen of a bunch of eggs, okay? And you've got health. We've all got health issues or potential health issues. We've got financial issues. We got relationships. Maybe it's marriage. Maybe it's children. Maybe it's grandchildren. But we got relationships in our lives. We got jobs. What am I going to expect on the job? We got issues about the future. What's the future going to hold? Am I dreading the future? Can I wait? Can't wait to get into the future. 
We got the future. What's the future going to be like? Our lives are like a bunch of eggs. Now, compare it to eggs because eggs are fragile. Now, several weeks ago, I had a sermon illustration where I took peanuts and I was illustrating something and I threw peanuts, peanuts all over the stage. If I take eggs today and start throwing them all over the stage, some ain't going to be very happy with me because we're going to have a mess and a half. We're going to have to clean up because these things are so fragile. And that's how fragile our lives are. And that's how fragile all the issues are in life that we struggle with. Now, here's the question. Who's holding the eggs of our life? Who's holding the eggs of our life? Who's holding the future? Who's holding the health? Who's holding the finances? Who's holding the job? You see, if, if I'm holding the eggs and somebody bigger than I am and meaner than I am comes up to me and attacks me, what's going to happen to my eggs? I'm going to be yoke flying all over the place. How about if I start taking eggs out? I won't do this, so don't have a heart attack. But let's say I take the eggs out and I start trying to juggle the eggs. And I start adding one egg after another egg to my juggling act. It would be very interesting to do that and watch y'all's facial expressions as I add egg after egg. And then you watch them splat one after another. How many of us are at a place in life right now we feel like we're trying to juggle eggs? And we got a splat over here and a splat over there. And before we can control one another, one's coming down at us. And then what doesn't help situation is when we get more of them added in. So you're trying to juggle even more and juggle even more. What he's saying here in this passage of Scripture when he says in verse 2, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. He is saying, When the Lord is my strength and my song, I've taken my eggs and I have placed them into the hands of the Lord. And He is greater than anything that can come and attack me. And I don't have to live my life doing the juggling act anymore. Because He says, I'll take them, I'll hold them, and I can juggle a whole lot better than you can. In fact, I've got an eternity of juggling. Keeping the world going. Keeping things going. Taking care of your salvation. So trust me to hold the eggs of your life. Notice verse 2. I love what He does here. He says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. Why? For the Lord God is my strength and my song. Now, first of all, when he uses the term Lord God there, it's the personal name for God, Yahweh. And it's the covenant name of God. It's the name that God gave to Moses when he pledged himself to Moses and the nation of Israel. So when he says here, the Lord God is where my trust is, he's saying God has pledged himself Now, I want you to see this and I don't want you to miss this. God has pledged himself to us. So I'm trusting him. He's my strength. He's my song because God has pledged himself to us. It's not just that we pledge ourselves to him. He's taking the initiative to pledge himself to us first. But notice what he says here. The Lord, capital L-O-R-D, God. I did a Hebrew word study on the two names for God there this week. thought they were going to be two different names because they're translated in English, Lord God. But in Hebrew, they're the same name for God, Yahweh. But let me tell you what he does here. and I'm going to explain it to you from Hebrew, and then I'm going to put the application in. Where it says Lord there, that is a hyphenated name for God. In other words, the name of God, Yahweh, But it's hyphenated. 
which translated God is the full name in Hebrew, translated either God, excuse me, Yahweh or Jehovah. So he takes the same name, and the first time he says it, it's hyphenated. The second time he says it, it's the full name. But why does he repeat the name of God twice together? Because literally this could be translated for the Yahweh, Yahweh is my strength and my song. Which doesn't make any sense to us. This is what I think Isaiah is doing when he writes this. Have you ever gotten so excited about somebody that when you went to speak to them, the first time their name came out of your mouth, you said about half said their name, and then you repeat their full name immediately following that? You know, Bob, Bob. You're so excited, you can't get it all out at first, and then so you stop, and then you say the name correctly. I think what Isaiah, reason Isaiah does that, it says the name of God, Yahweh, twice, but the first time it's hyphenated, is he's saying, behold, God is my salvation. He's my deliverer. I'm going to trust in him. I won't be afraid. He's got the eggs of my life. And then he's saying, for God, God is my strength and my song. He is so excited about who God is and what God is doing in his life that he can't even get the name of God out straight the first time he writes it down. He's so excited. I could just imagine this prophet sitting there, riding away, and you could just see his face changing and his face lighting up like he's got the sun shining through him. And he's like, God, God is my strength, and he's my song. He's my salvation. This is ricocheting through my soul of who God is. Now notice what he says. He's saying, God is my what? He's my strength. And he's my song. Let's look at those two words. First of all, the our idea of strength. He is my strength. Is he's my strong tower. And he's my mighty rock. In those days when they built a city, they would build these towers. And the purpose of the tower was twofold. You would go up in the tower and you could get a view of the lay of the land. You could see everything that was out there in front of the city. You could see if enemies were coming. You could see if the king was coming back from battle. You could see whatever was coming. You got a lay of the land. The second reason for the tower is it was a place of refuge in a battle. The place to go and hide out was the tower because they would just wrap layer after layer after layer of brick and stone to build these towers. He is my strong tower when I get into the Lord, when I'm walking with the Lord and serving the Lord and submitting to the Lord. I see the lay of my life. I see the purpose of my life. God enables me to see what He's doing. Second, I go into Him for refuge. And I have got layer and layer and layer of the love of God and the mercy of God and the power of God surrounding my life. He's my strength. But it doesn't end there. The word also was used to speak of dancing. Intense rejoicing. Laughter. When it was used of rain, it was used of rain coming down in torrents. What's he saying? He's saying, I don't just go to the Lord and just get inside of Him and I'm safe. It's not just this stability, yes, but not just this stale stability. It is rather this idea that He's my strength, I'm surrounded by Him, and I am dancing and rejoicing as to who He is and what He's doing in my life. I'm dancing in His presence because I'm intensely enjoying God. 
and who He is. He is my strength. He's my song. Now, the word song there means to touch the strings of a musical instrument. It's like the Lord is playing the song of my life. Let me illustrate it this way. We've got a piano over here. Now, this piano has got tremendous potential. But the piano is silent and doesn't do anything until someone sits down at the piano and begins to play. We never know what the potential of the piano is until someone sits down and begins to play. Now, the sound that you hear coming out of the piano when they play is all determinative of who's playing the piano. If someone sits in there and they don't know much about playing a piano, what you're going to hear is not going to sound too swift. If they are a concert pianist, that's going to be a different story. But they're going to pick the music that they're going to play. So what you hear coming from the piano is a reflection of the potential of the piano, but what comes through in music is all driven by the expertise of the person who's playing and what they have chosen to play. Now the word here that he uses where he says he's my strength and he is my song is that we are like an instrument. And the people are saying, we have asked the Lord God to sit down and to start playing the song of our life. He determines the cadence, he determines the melody, he determines everything, and he's playing. We have not invited Assyria to sit down and start playing the song of our nation. We haven't asked our fear to sit down and start playing the song of our nation. We are asking and we are looking to and we are excited that God is going to be playing the song of our nation. When I was a boy growing up, some of you that are older are going to remember this. There was this piano player who played with a lot of style and a lot of flair. He was outstanding. His name was Liberace. Any of y'all remember Liberace? I can remember as a kid when they would tell us that Liberace was going to be on tonight. Man, we want to make sure we're going to watch Liberace. Now, Liberace was entertaining. He always wore these out, you know, crazy-looking outfits, and he had his big candle stand on top of it. But when he got through all of that fun stuff... When Liberace's fingers hit those keys, as my dad used to say, he could tickle the ivories. I mean, he went, he went nuts over that keyboard, and it was just outstanding. But what was it about? It was about who was touching the keyboard that made all the difference. And what he's saying here is, I have, we have invited God to get on the keyboard of our lives, of our community. And he's playing the song. And he's determining what the song is. How many of us are allowing God to do that? How many of us have rather got addictions that are at the keyboard? Fear that's at the keyboard. Depression that's at the keyboard. All the problems that we are struggling and wrestling with. Are at the keyboard. Tell them to go take a hike. And say Jesus. You died on a cross. You shed your life's blood. And you rose from the dead. To take your place. At the keyboard. 
of my life. And your song will be amazing grace when you play that at the keyboard of my life.